0: We have been uh, in the middle of a series called Fresh Eyes, just looking at Christmas in a new light, and last week we began uh, with the story of Mary in Luke chapter 1, and in that story we're looking at of how just typically in all of our lives, her life kind of reminds us that uh, we kind of all approach life in a way that we have things planned, we have an idea of how life should go, even at a young age, we all have dreams. Remember that? Remember when you were a child, maybe you were... A, a, teenager, and you just thought of, you know, here's what I'm going to do with my life. You know, like when you're four years old, most kids, you know, most guys, they want to be a fire truck. Remember that? I remember I a kid once, what do you want me to grow up? I want to be a fire truck. And I didn't take the time to explain. I figured he was a lost cause. But, um, you know, we all have these dreams. I'm just teasing. But we all have these, you know, ideas. We get older, and we, we have an idea of, you know, what we're going to do and who, how, who we're going to marry and the career we're going to have and maybe all these lofty ideas. And and some of those things work out, but the reality is oftentimes life can throw us a curve. Uh, In the story of our life, the narrative of our life that we have planned out, there can come these plot twists, and we saw that in the life of this young girl, probably 14 to 16 years of age, in the story of Mary, how the angel appeared to her and said that she was going to conceive and give birth to a child, and of course, uh, she was not married at the time, and all the ramifications of that we we shared last week, but... The Christmas story is a reminder to us we saw last week that God can be trusted to write our story. He can be trusted to to lead us and to guide us through our lives. And if we learn to trust the Lord, we actually discover that life turns out so much more, better than any kind of script that we could have written ourselves. because of course we can't control all the eventualities, but the Lord is faithful to do that because he loves us. And one of the takeaways we had last week was that when you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. And we looked last week and even before then our series on identity, we looked at some of the things that God says about us. And we, we need to learn to really give the full weight of these words that God intends and not just to kind of blow them off or dismiss them or say, that's nice, but, but let those soak into our hearts because God says things like, he says, you are my child. That carries incredible weight when you're the king of the universe. To realize that I'm his child. God says that you are righteous. The devil wants to remind you of all your mistakes. God says, I look at you and you are righteous. I look at you and you are holy. He says that you are his friend. He says that you are greatly loved. These are all words and many, many more that God has spoken over us. And so when those unexpected developments interrupt your life, the question we want to ask ourselves is not just what's happening, but whom do I trust? Whom do I trust? And again, that's why Advent is so important because it's a time for us to stop and say, Lord, do I really know you like you want me to? Do I really trust you? Have I kind of allowed myself again to be back into the grind and the routine of life? And I've kind of coasted along and I've had this disconnect. So when things do come my way, oftentimes I allow my circumstances to dictate me or to define me rather than who I know I am. Because you see, when you know who you are, not only can the enemy, the accuser, not do his work against you, but when you know who you are, you also know who your resource is. So as things come your way and as life turns sideways, you really understand, I am not alone. And that's why in many places in the Scripture we hear of adjectives describing God as our refuge. He's our rock. Amen? He's our strong tower. He's our shelter. You see, these are all images, word pictures that God gives us to recognize that as we meditate on that, when we need those things in our life, God says, that's who I am. So what's he saying? He's saying, come to me. Come to me first. And again, Advent is a time that reminds us to do that thing. So we're all tempted to just kind of take control of our lives, especially when things go unexpectedly. And as we shared last week, we used that analogy of how God wants to write our story, but we oftentimes take the pen out of his hand. We say, okay, Lord, you've done well so far, but I don't quite like this. So I'm going to kind of rewrite how I want the ending to be. And Mary said this after after receiving this amazing news that was exciting and devastating in a sense, and, and she probably still had to work through it all. But she said, Lord, I am your servant. May everything that you have said come true. And in that statement, she's saying, God, I don't understand it all. You would not have understood it, whether she was 14, 15, 16 years of age, The announcement she heard, and and a girl who had understood the scriptures but could not have possibly understood all the ramifications. In the midst of all that, she just said, God, all I know is is I know you're good. I know you're good. I know I can trust you. So however we're going to walk through this, I'm going to walk through it with you. And, And it just speaks of her relationship with the Lord. We also mentioned last week how oftentimes the Christmas story becomes so familiar to us because we've heard it so many times that we miss some of the nuances that I believe the Holy Spirit, the writer of the story, really wants us to catch. The Bible says in Romans 15 that these stories, that they were written long ago to teach us, but also to give us hope and encouragement as we patiently wait for God's promises to be filled in us. And, and so, you know, we live in a culture we know of instant gratification. We hear that all the time, and it's so true. We, we want things you know, to come together quickly. That's not unique of our generation, but it is human nature. And what, what Paul is saying in Romans is, listen, these stories remind us, because you see, we have the benefit when we read the stories that we see the whole picture, don't we? And so because of that, a lot of the times we don't appreciate what a lot of the people were walking through. But if we could understand and, and see the beauty of what God works, then we can understand that no matter where we are in our story, where we are in whatever things are going on in our life, that it's not the end of the story. That's not all the script. you hear me this morning? You see, I read these stories to remind myself that wherever I am, I serve the same God. Therefore, he still has an ending to write. This is still going somewhere. There's purpose to this, and I can trust him because, Lord, when I read your word, and even when I look back over my own life, I can see at times when I was in a tunnel, didn't know where I was going, but God did bring me through. He did bring me to an appointed end. There was a purpose. I can look back and there's things I can glean. There's areas I can see where I've grown in my life or I've grown in my understanding of God and I'm closer to him. And so these things were written for us to remind us that wherever you may be, whatever you feel like, God hasn't changed. He's writing the story of your life and he says all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. They have have an ending that you can look back and say, I get it. God didn't let me go. I I understand that this is what I learned, and the Lord wants us to appreciate that as we read these stories. So as we approach God's Word, and in particular the Christmas story in a fresh way, we see some of the details that sometimes we overlook, but that do give us hope and encouragement and to remind us that God really loves us. Now, if I was to ask you, what's one of your favorite things about Christmas, what would you say? Just shout it out. Candy canes. What was that? Family. Turkey. Okay. Obviously, all the kids are outside because if they were here, what would they say? Toys. Am I right? The favorite thing about Christmas is toys. I mean, if you're a child and receiving them, you are thrilled you know, you're shaking the boxes. You're trying to guess. You wonder where they got the one you really want hidden because you don't see that shape under the tree. If you're an adult, you're just as excited, right, because you want to see the look of surprise on the children's faces. Hope you get surprised, not, oh, you got me that. Um, you know, you want to see excitement. For me, Christmas has always been about children, and it's always been about toys. Now, last Sunday, we talked about or we mentioned the three top movies ever made for Christmas of the top 25, right? The three top. What were they? It's a Wonderful Life. Number two, Elf. Y'all remember Elf. Number three, Miracle on 34th So That's kind of a debate. You know, there's, there's probably some other ones in there, depending on what list you read. Well, this morning, I, I want to mention to you, as we start, uh, of the three top toys for 2017. Now, my boys are a little bit beyond the toy. Well, I shouldn't say that. They should be a little bit beyond the toy stage. Um, but uh, for you who maybe have younger children or grandchildren, I'll just give you an idea of a few of the toys. You look at different lists online, and they'll have some different things. When I kind of put the list together, uh, I'm, I'm looking at Leon up here. He'd probably know from Walmart the, uh, the top toys, uh, so he can correct me later. But uh, let me just give you three that seem to always be in the top few when I looked on the list. I have no idea what these are. I have no idea what the attraction is. But here's what seems to come at number three. They're called Hatchimals. Now, they were big last year, I understand. And they're kind of carrying them over to this year as well. They're like these little furry robots, and they're in a plastic egg, and apparently they, they hatch, and then uh, you get to raise them from infancy to, to being a child, and you, you get to teach them things, and they respond. You're, you're supposed to talk to them in a certain way. Um, I remember, I think it was about 20 years ago, it was called Tamagotchi. Is that what they were called? Remember the little Tamagotchis? Yeah, you'd have, you know, you'd have this little electronic animal that you'd sometimes just for spite, you'd let it die just to see what it would do. But you know, they come with a little <laughs> clip on your belt and you had to feed at certain times of the day. Well, I think it's kind of like that. Well, that was number three. Here's number two. These things are kind of weird, but they're called fingerlings. Uh, you get, mo- yeah, yeah. you can tell the kids are difficult, to go, ah! You know, where adults kind of go, what the world? Um, but uh, they're a collection of monkeys, they say, or a unicorn, a sloth. They cling to a child's finger. They give you nightmares at night. Uh, but they make cute noises, I guess, and they react to sound and motion. And touch. Well, that seemed to be around number two. Uh, this seemed to be number one. I don't know if it's, it's accurate. Or not. I've not noticed it myself in the stores, but it's called the LOL Big Surprise. Is that, any, is that popular, Leon? LOL Big Surprise around here? I saw it online anyway, but it seemed to be uh, in the top all the time. They say it's the IT Toy of 2017. Here's what it's described it's the ultimate unboxing experience. And it includes 50 surprises for kids to unwrap, including dolls, accessories, bath bombs, and more. And the best part is the glitter ball packaging can be used as a purse. I mean, where was this when we were kids, right? You want to know what the top toys was when I was a kid? And these were awesome toys. For guys, I remember the top toys for me back in the early 60s was G.I. Joe, right, and Johnny West. I mean, I still, we had everything in Johnny West. We kept losing all the little pieces, but we had the ranch and the horses and the cowboys and cowgirls. It was, we played for that for hours on end. And for the girls back in those days, anybody remember Chatty Cathy? Remember that? And how about the best one of all, the Easy Bake Oven? There wasn't a guy I knew as a kid who didn't want an Easy Bake They'd never admit it. But if they had a sister, they were so happy that you had an easy bake oven because it's the one toy you obviously get to eat. You know, you can play with it and you can actually eat cake all day. So that was quite an amazing toy. Long before the microwave, we were cooking with light bulbs. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Now, Vanessa and I were at a restaurant a few weeks ago, and I'm trying to remember if it was East Side Mirrors, I can't remember, it was, some, it was some friends. And after we had our meal, they brought us this device that we could look at the dessert menu on. I don't know if you've been to that restaurant. I think it's East Side Mirrors, I can't remember. But uh, you can look at it. And this actual device was a number one selling toy when I was a kid. In fact, it is actually in the Toy Hall of Fame. Yes, there is such a place as the Toy Hall of Fame. What it was called was the ViewMaster. Remember the Viewmaster? It was the original reality experience. They say that it made 3D come to life. Now, when the Viewmaster first came out, it came out in different forms. If you remember them, they used to have just these beautiful scenic pictures of, of cities and landscapes or foreign cities like Paris and whatever, places you probably never would see normally. All these beautiful pictures, and eventually, it kind of evolved into more of a kid's toy, even though adults would still use them, and they would have, like, pictures of toys and children's programs and cartoons, but it was really, really a popular toy, and you know, as I was reflecting on what we're going to be talking about this morning uh, in regards to the shepherds and the Christmas story, I remembered the uh, the viewmaster from the uh, restaurant, and I thought how it really represents real life. And what I mean by that is that every one of us here this morning, we all have a particular view of life. The only thing that's really different is the filter that we use to look at it. We all have the same 24 hours in the day. A lot of us, though, we come from different backgrounds and so on. We we kind of, you know, live in a similar world, similar culture, but it really depends on the filter that we use to look at our world and the things around us. Someone said a long time ago that how you view life drives how you do life. Would you say that with me? How you view life drives how you do life. We all have that filter. And that filter has been affected in our lives, again, sometimes by our upbringing, uh, sometimes by our relationships. It might be by the careers we find ourselves in, the choices that we make, whether it's our past or our present. All these things work together to create a unique filter in our life. And that filter really becomes a kind of view master in our life because that filter is what actually decides whether or not I look at life with a sense of expectation and of hope and enthusiasm, or whether I look at life as kind of like limitations and, and, and disappointments and, and those kind of things that send my life in a different direction. You may be what in the world does that have to do with the Christmas story? Because we know Christmas is not just about toys. I believe it has a lot to do with the Christmas story because it was at Christmas that our Heavenly Father gave us a whole new way to view life. And a whole new way to view him. I think it's such a tremendous gift that God has given us. Because if it's true, how we view life is how we do life. Then our view of God, our understanding of him, seeing things as he sees things, believing the things that he has spoken over us, that will determine every day that you get up, whether you face the day with faith, and with enthusiasm, with anticipation, with hope, whatever circumstances may come your way, or whether you allow those things to define you. Now, as I mentioned last week, we looked at Mary in Luke chapter 1. Today, we're looking at a group of people in Luke chapter 2 and how their entire view of life changed. Their entire view of God changed because of something that happened, an encounter that they had, you might say, with a little bit of heaven that Christmas night. And the beautiful thing I find in the story, we need to remind ourselves, as again, as Romans says, these things were written to teach you. They're not just meant to be nice stories that we read. They're meant to communicate truth to you and me. In fact, one of the best ways to communicate truth is to use stories, isn't it? Is to use illustrations. I mean, on my best Sunday, the reality is all of you will forget 90% of what I said. You will. You'll forget 90%. In fact, if I hadn't told you what I meant, what I spoke on last week, you wouldn't have remembered. And don't feel bad, because I would have forgotten too. I think I told you that story once, right? When I went to the U.S. border, remember that? Well, for those who don't know, I'll just tell it again. I went to the U.S. border once on a Monday. This is Monday. Okay? I preached on Sunday. I had a couple extra days vacation more than Vanessa, and so Vanessa was working. I thought, I'm just going to go down south for a couple days, clear my head, kind of just relax a little bit. And so I I'm driving to the border, the You know the far distance of some three hours away and i get to the border now on my way down i have my voice recorder so i'm thinking of the coming sunday and i'm thinking of other things and i'm I'm putting all my thoughts down i'm by myself so i'm just loading up my voice recorder i get to the border and there's a female customs uh, custom agent and she says who are you where you're from and so i tell her she says what do you do i said i'm a pastor she said oh what did you preach on yesterday I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. She said, oh. I said, why? Do people you know, do people actually pretend they're pastors or they're not? She said, you would not believe how many people say they're clergy. So anyways, I said, I can't tell you. I said, actually, I've been using my voice recorder. I'm thinking of next Sunday and the weeks beyond. She said, well, just give me a scripture. And so I just quoted a scripture. She said, okay, you're good. You can go on your way. <laughs> so the point being... Never feel bad if you forget, okay, because if the preacher forgets 24 hours later, you have an excuse. But what's interesting about these guys is that we don't know that they are particularly religious, and yet the Bible says that the angels appeared to them. They, they weren't like Mary, you know. The angel appeared to Mary and said, you know, you're a highly favorite of God. Uh, They weren't like the Magi that we'll look at next week, you know, who studied the scriptures and, and, and seemed to determine where the Messiah was to be born. They weren't like that. They were just ordinary guys who were there working one night, doing what they always do, just taking care of sheep because they're shepherds. And out of nowhere comes this angelic visitation. In all likelihood, like we saw in the video clip earlier, these guys were probably just sitting around the campfire. You know, it'll kind of like we do. We don't necessarily sit around the campfire. We sit around the front room. We sit around the water cooler. They're probably doing what we do. You know, they're just talking about life. They're talking about good stuff, talking about problems, talking about the same old, same old, talking about the rut, maybe talking about, you know, how, the, how you know, tending sheep, you know, after a while gets kind of old or I don't know, just kind of the stuff we talk about. But basically in their conversation, they're just talking about the usual stuff. And we can kind of be that way too. You know, a lot of our conversation can just kind of devolve into just stuff. It's not necessarily bad conversation, but it's just, you know, you ask somebody how they're doing. Well, it's just the same old, same old, or whatever. You know, we we can just kind of get on that level of living in our conversations just involve the stuff of our lives. And that kind of becomes, again, our view master. They're, They're just talking about all this stuff, and then the Scripture says something happens, and all of a sudden, everything is changed. Their entire life is changed. Their entire worldview is changed. They look at life in an entirely different way. Well, it's probably a good time to get to the Scriptures. Luke chapter 2. And by the way, that wasn't just an introduction in case you're panicking, okay? Okay, you know, for those who have been going to church for a while, when you read the Scripture, that's kind of the official beginning, just letting you know it's not, okay? I'm halfway through already. So here we go. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let that sink in for a moment. It's the dark of night. It's pitch black, maybe a couple stars in the sky. An angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord just broke out of the darkness and shone upon them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause a great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Again, we we read the story so many times, but every word that is spoken would have just been like one hit, bang, 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 what, what, what? The Messiah is born to you in the town of David. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And will you read this next verse with me? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's a simple thought, but think about it. In an instant, their entire worldview changed from just looking at, just looking around, to actually looking up, looking up, and it changed their life. They went from sitting around a campfire talking with the same old stuff to being filled with hope and joy at this prospect of a Savior being born. And all of this happened because they had an encounter with God that changed their view their view of life, and it changed their view of God. When we look over this last year of 2016, I wonder how many of us spent most of our time just looking at, just looking around. How much of our time was actually spent looking up? How much of our time was actually spent walking through life with our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and who he is, looking up at what he says about us and who we are and whatever it is we may be going through, that in all of our ways we acknowledged him, in all of our ways that we submitted ourselves to God and resisted in his power what might be coming against us and we continued to walk in what the Lord had for us. How much of our time was spent looking up and not just looking uh, I'm not saying that we, don't, that we deny reality. What I'm saying is, is we don't allow reality to define us. And there's some sloppy theology out there. You know, sometimes, I mean, people get in their mind, in their mind someday, well, if I just don't, sometimes if I just don't admit it, it's not happening. You know, if I'm coughing, I just don't say that I'm sick, so I won't be sick. You know, if I broke my leg, I just say, it's not broken, so I won't be broken. You know, whatever. I mean, there's a place for faith. But the Lord's not saying deny reality. He wants you to understand there's a greater reality that we can bring to bear on the reality that we're facing, and that reality can change this reality. It can make a difference. So the Lord says, don't deny what you're going through, but don't let it define you. Look up and allow God to define who you are. Allow God to define your circumstances. And it doesn't mean that your circumstance might even change, but you can change what you're facing in your circumstance. You can realize, okay, as I'm going through this, God, because I know your word, because I trust what you have spoken over me, I see these circumstances, but I choose to believe, which I know is the truth, that you work all these things together for my good. There's something you're doing here. You are in control. You are my God. You are greater than. So in the midst of this, Lord, I will wait on you. I will be led by you. I will bring these things to you, and we will process them together. Rather than saying, because this is happening, God, you don't love me. No, no, no. You see, God, I know you love me. So I can look through your love at these things and realize there's something going on. This may be not a script that I would have written for myself, but I trust that you know where you're going. Lord, I've seen other stories in the Word, and I know there's an ending. So, Lord, I know there's going to be an ending for me and I know it wasn't easy for them at certain stages, just like it's not easy for me at this particular stage, but I know this is not the end of my story. I know there's more. And so, Lord, I say like Mary, whatever you have planned, let it be done according to your word, because I trust you. Lord, help me to cling to you. Help me to to hold on to you, to trust you, because I know there's a purpose in what is going on. This story reminds me of a a similar incident in 2 Kings. The story of the shepherd, 2 Kings chapter 6, involving the prophet Elisha and his servant in the city of Dothan. You may remember the story. The city was surrounded. Uh, Elijah, Elisha and his servant were staying there, and the enemy king had sent his armies to besiege the city of Dothan to capture Elisha and to bring him back to the king. And so the servant wakes up in the morning, goes outside to kind of, you know, you kind of picture it in the movie, kind of like, oh, you know, kind of thing, just not expecting to see and the entire city is surrounded by horses, and the Bible is very deliberate, mention the chariots, because they were a symbol of strength. They were a strategic advantage. They represented power of any army. When the servant saw that, of course, like we would, he panicked. And Elisha said to him in verse 16, he said, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Let me stop there for a second. Because isn't that a wonderful scripture? Isn't that a wonderful truth? But you know what? For so many of us, it's just a cliche. Like we believe it, but really it's just Christian jargon. It's a cliche. It's kind of like you're going through something and somebody says, hey, I'll be praying for you. You're thinking, no, you won't. Let's be honest, <laughs> right? Unless it's somebody, you know, knows pray, that they really pray and that they really care about you. They probably, don't, you know, don't be afraid to tell me you're praying for me, okay? I'll, I'll take you at your word. But you know what I'm saying, we, we, we just say things. And it's kind of like when we're going through something, we can say, we can kind of just blurt out, hey, well, you know, be encouraged, God is with you. You know, be encouraged, God's in control, amen? Like we all have those catchphrases, but they're truth. But the problem is so oftentimes when we hear them, they just kind of come across as cliche because we don't let the truth really get hold of our hearts and say, yeah, that is true." And so Elisha says uh, to the servant, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I'm sure the servant took some comfort in that, that, okay, well, I'm with Elisha. He's had a pretty good track record, lots of miracles. It's probably true. But he's also probably thinking, a little bit of him is thinking, the guy's nuts. Because if you think those who are with you are more than those who are against you, and you're looking at me and I'm with you, there's just the two of us, buddy. There's thousands out there. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Because we know it's true. At least we we say it, but we don't really get it. And Elisha knows that. And, And I just love that the story continues. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't just end with a nice catchphrase that should encourage you. Verse 17, Elisha prays this prayer that the servant's eyes would be opened. It says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Friends, that is reality. Not just this reality. That is reality. And I wish I could have found a better picture. I was looking all through Google for like a half hour for just some real, you know, poignant picture there. I don't know if there's anything out there. But but if we can just imagine what Elisha is saying, that is reality. Do you realize the Bible says, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him? Do we realize that? If our eyes could be opened, What would we see standing around us? I believe we would see the angels filling this room. I believe when we leave, we'd see the angels of the Lord accompanying us wherever we go. You know, you get in your car and they're in the car. We all know they drop off at 120, right? They stay with you to then at 120, you're on your own. But, um, But if we could see into the realm of the Spirit... And that's why when we read the Word of God or we read the stories, that's why the Scriptures say these stories are meant to teach you, to encourage you, to give you hope. Why? Because the same thing is true of you that was true of them. We shared last week, when the Lord looks at you and he says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, you are greatly loved, all these things. What is he saying? He's saying you are highly favored of God. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. That doesn't change your identity. That's who you are. And he says, I want you as my people to see who you are and who is with you. That whatever it is that's coming your way, whatever you're going through again, it's not that it's not real, but it does not define you. It doesn't change my attitude toward you. I am fixed on you. I've written you on the palm of my hand. You are always before me. Nothing happens that I don't see. But you need to know that. You need to know that. Because I know it. And it's more than a cliche. And there's times that we have to say, Lord, would you just open the eyes of my spirit to see what is really around me, to see who you really are. When the servant's eyes were opened, he was in awe. Just like the shepherds were when the host of angels appeared from out of that midnight sky. You know, I think that's something we could really use more of in the body of Christ today, at least in in our Western culture. We need a bit more of awe in our lives. We really do. We we, we need more than just the cerebral faith. We need that encounter with God on on a regular basis, at least as much as he knows that we do. Where once again, we are just in awe of God in all of who He is and what He has done. And again, the Christmas story should do that for us. I want to ask you this morning, what is bigger in your life right now? The God that you look up to or the circumstances that you look at? What is the real view master in your life? What is it that today defines who you are and what you believe and what you hope for or what you don't hope for? What dominates your thoughts? What dominates your conversations, your words that you speak? You see, when you begin to look up consistently, the Bible says that God takes his rightful place in your life. And you know what? When God begins to take his rightful place, then your thoughts begin to take the rightful place. Your behaviors begin to take the rightful place. Your circumstances actually begin to line up, and you realize they're not as imposing as what you thought in your own flesh. Let me show you what that kind of looks like in real life. How many know Andre the Giant? Anybody? Andre the Giant. Okay. Now, some of you may know him from a movie he made a long time ago called The Princess Bride. Anybody see The Princess Bride? That's kind of a classic as well. If you've never seen it, where's Roland and Julianne? You're up there somewhere? All you got to do is just, they'll, they'll act the whole movie out for you verbatim. They watch it I don't know how many times a year. It, it's a, it's a, a wonderful uh, funny story. But before the, the movie Princess Bride, Andre the Giant was actually a very popular professional wrestler. He stood 7 feet 4 inches tall. He weighed 520 pounds. I mean, this is one guy you would not want to meet in the wrestling ring, if it was real, that is. But you, you, know, you wouldn't want to meet this guy in the wrestling ring if the, if the outcome wasn't already determined. you still got to be a good athlete. But, but in any case, he was a big man. And everywhere he went, People would look up at this guy in amazement. It wasn't anything unusual. But there's this one particular time when someone snapped a picture of him, and there was an expression that was caught in that picture that I thought it really made me think of what the shepherds probably, what their reaction was like that night when the angels showed up. One day, he's walking through the airport, and a little boy who had never seen anyone that big before ran up to him, Andre stopped and looked down at the boy, and the boy looked up. And here's the picture. (laughs) That is what awe looks like. That's what awe looks like. I mean, just think this little boy gets up in the morning, brushes his teeth, gets dressed, he's going to the airport, he's just going about his business, walking through the airport. Never expects to see anything like this. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, everything changes. He just sees something he's never seen before, and he is just captivated. He's just standing there in awe. That's what I really hope Christmas is for us. I really hope the Advent season is that for you. we still got a, a couple weeks to go. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you. Let this be a season in your quiet time. Let it be a season to start your quiet time if you don't already. Let it be a season where you say, God, I just just pray that I would have a sense of awe in my walk with you. Would that be your gift to me this Christmas? Lord, that I would stop being in awe of all the things, all the responsibilities, all the demands, all the financial pressures, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that my eyes would be fastened upon you where I am seated in heavenly places in Christ, not fastened on this world. Lord, I pray over these next few weeks that you would just create in me a fresh sense of awe to who you are and what it means to know you. For some of you, 2017 was a year like that. 2017 was a year that you chose to look up. Uh, For some of you here this morning, you came to faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. All your life, you're living with your nose to the grind, and then God got a hold of your attention. You looked up, and your life has changed. Or for somebody else, maybe in your marriage relationship, you allowed God to actually have something to say in your relationship. You allowed him to begin to shape your life and change you. And your marriage is different. I know of stories the marriages are different this year because people allowed God to get a hold of their heart. They began to look up rather than just looking at the person. Or maybe you're one of the more than 30 people this year who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God gave you just a fresh revelation of his love and power and who he is as you experience that wonderful promise that Jesus said is for all of us. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you've been a believer for a long time, but you've been away from the Lord, or you've just been religious, but 2017 was a year where you said, Lord, I want to get serious about you. I want to get serious about your word. And you began to look away just from religiousness or just from church, and you began to look up and say, Lord, I really want this personal relationship with you that you said I'm supposed to have. I want to take you at your word. And you've done that. You've come back to the Lord, and the Lord has shown you things you've never seen before. We touched on last week, there's some of us as well who are too afraid to look up because we believe the lie that God is angry with us. We believe the devil who says God's frustrated with you, God's disappointed at you, and so we don't, we're afraid to look up. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you, I don't want to rehash it this morning, but I want to encourage you maybe to go back in our website, go back over our podcast or a series on identity to really understand how God sees you and to understand the lie that you've been, been believing from the devil. But I really believe that the Christmas story tells us anything. It's the incredible lengths that God will go to to show you that he is for you. He really is for you. That's why I love this picture of Andre the Giant and that look of awe of the little boy's face. It's such an appropriate picture. I just, just, when we look into God's eyes, when we look up, and we realize when we look up, that God is actually looking down, not just at us, but he looks down upon us, and he loves us. I love what the angels said. They could have chosen any words that would have been justifiable if they, if they had spoken words of condemnation, condemnation, but they didn't. They looked down to the shepherds, and what do they say? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and God's favor. When God looks at us, he wants us to know his peace. He wants us to know his favor. If we reject that love, if we reject that salvation, then the scripture says the day will come that we'll have to face God's wrath not because God wants to pour his wrath on us any more than we want to spank or discipline a child whom we love, but God is just. He has to, he has to, uh, be, he has to be judged in his judgment of sin. He has no choice. We expect the same thing of our, of our secular court systems. If people got away with a slap on the wrist, we'd protest and say, that's unjust. They need to, 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 to suffer the, the punishment for their crime. We understand that, and the same is, is true in the universe. God has to mete out justice upon sin. But before that, God says, I've done everything I possibly can so that instead of wrath, instead of judgment, you can know forgiveness and you can know peace and you can know the favor of God upon your life. Moms and dads, let me ask you this. This came out of our discussion this Wednesday. The staff is is doing a mentoring with with the church renewal organization some wonderful material we're talking about. But let me ask you, mums and dads, let me ask you, grandparents, do you still look with awe at your Heavenly Father? It's so important that you do. It's important for you. It's important for your children. It's important for your grandchildren that you never lose that sense of awe in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, probably most of us are familiar with the staggering reports about the hemorrhaging church. Uh, statistics say that more than 70% of our young people are walking away from God after their graduation, after they leave high school or after they leave college and they, they move away from home. More than 70% are walking away from their faith. And you know what? Our first inclination many times is to blame the church, It is to blame the youth ministry or the kids ministry, or maybe if you have a Christian college in town, we're blessed to have, to have Crandall in this town. You know, well, you know, it, it's their fault. Somehow they're failing our young people. Pastor Ray Dirksen, he is the founder of the Church Renewal Network. And he draws a different conclusion from observations he's made in over 30 years of studying church renewal in the body of Christ and what God is doing. And here's what Ray says. He says, next generation children have walked away from the church because their parents are not renewed. Next generation children have walked away from church, walked away from Christ, because their parents are not renewed. Are not renewed. Now, don't be condemning yourself here this morning. I'm not saying that's the only factor, but it's certainly the key factor, I believe. A determining factor in the ongoing faith of our children. Hear me, saints. It is not awesome programs. Our kids will walk away from awesome programs. You know what the number one factor of a child's faith, a young person's faith? It's awestruck parents. That's what it is. Awestruck parents, parents who never lose a wonder for God, parents who are never ashamed to worship in front of their children, to take things to prayer in the home, to weep in front of, you know, in in the presence of the Lord, parents who are in awe of God, who still have that sense of reverence and wonder. They never just become churchgoers. They see, the children see that Jesus Christ really is real to them, not just in a religious way, not just a church-going way, but they know that in all things, Jesus Christ comes first. That is the number one determining factor of our children's ongoing faith and walk with Jesus Christ. I love the expression of that little boy's face as he looks at Andre the Giant. And, And I love the expression of Andre the Giant as he looks at this little boy because he's probably had this happen to him a thousand times. In fact, you would understand it perfectly if, if he just got tired of this. And, and when the boy ran up to him, he just kept on going. You'd understand that because he has, a, he has a flight to catch, and he probably gets this all the time. In fact, some people who are really tall, you know, they kind of get tired of the, the jokes, the stares, the comments. They just kind of move on and don't bother stopping it at all. But as the little boy runs over to look up, I love the picture. It shows that Andre stops, and he takes the time to look down. And I think the look on his face reflects how our Heavenly Father looks down upon us. Look at Andre's smile. It's a smile of kindness and of grace and of patience and of understanding. I really believe it's an image of how our Heavenly Father looks at us. He looks down at us. We see all of our shortcomings. We see everything that's wrong. We just see how we're we're so much different. But God looks at us, and he says, I created you. I love you. You are my child. This is what I think of you. This is what I have for you. When we look up, we see that God is looking down on us with peace and with favor. I ask the musicians to join me. So nice to have Sammy and the boys with us this morning. I want to ask you as they come or remind you That how you view life really drives how you do life. How you see yourself, how you understand God to see you, how you understand who God is. Friends, as simple as it may sound, that really determines how you live your life through your day. What you expect from God. What you expect God to do in and through your life. I want to encourage this morning, we all need to look around less. We need to determine this new year. I'm going to stop looking at so much, and I'm going to look up more. Let me just give you some of the ways that you can look up more. Real quick, real simple. Number one, it begins with just surrendering your life to God. One of the ways you can begin to look with that perspective, live life with a whole different perspective, surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Another way, and new year is always filled with new resolutions, but you can begin, you can determine to read the Word of God. Two things. Determine this year, if you've failed 100 times in the past, I'm going to read the Word of God faithfully this year. And I'm going to learn to hear God. I'm going to learn to sit quietly and let God speak to me and journal some of the things He has shown me. Another thing you can do is you can join a life group. One of the things we forget in this culture in which we live that is so based on consumerism, friends, I say this in all kindness, but you are responsible for your spiritual development. You are, and nobody else is. Ministries provide it. We do what we do uh, as pastoral staff and so on. But friends, only you, only you can be responsible for your spiritual growth, just as only I can. I can go through the motions. I can live the, the lifestyle. But if I truly want to walk with Christ, I am the one who has to make the decision, right? If I want to lose 50 pounds, what do I got to do? Buy a Fitbit, right? My sister got me a Fitbit. I'm taking it back. hasn't worked. I actually do have a couple pounds gone. I know you can tell. But you hear what I'm saying? Everything in our culture, and even in our Christian culture, everything is directed toward catering to the flesh. What do we have to do to draw people? What do we have to do to keep people? How comfortable can we make it? How short can the service be? How compact can things be? How convenient can we make following Christ? Friends, you can fill a building with people like that. But as soon as hardship comes, I promise the church will be empty. Every single one of us on the platform and pew, we have to take responsibility for our own spiritual nurturing. We have to be in the Word. We have to hear from God. We have to develop a prayer life. We have to choose to stop looking here, start looking up, and say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in this life. That's our responsibility. In January, we're going to be launching a series called Relation Slips. That wasn't a Donald Trump slip. That was the true word. Relation slips. We're calling it regaining traction in your marriage. That's another thing you can do. When we put these series out and these themes, what's the purpose? It's for us to come and take time to learn on these particular topics. And we trust this will be a real encouragement for you. We have some special stuff planned in in February as well. But whatever God is laying on your heart to do, I want to encourage you to do it. Because reading my prayer for 2018, we're going to have some other emphasis we'll share in the new year. But my real prayer is that we be a church full of people who are looking up. Wouldn't that be Wonderful would be wonderful if every Sunday we came together, we can all have good weeks and bad weeks, but basically every Sunday we came together, we were used to looking up. And this place is just filled with worship and the presence of God because all week long we're looking up. And we're just coming together on Sunday to celebrate or get built up or encouraged, not just to get pumped up from scratch all over again. And I want to encourage you this morning as we close, that maybe sometime over these next couple weeks as we move toward the new year, that you just go outside, maybe step out your back deck, just some quiet winter night, and just look into the sky and remind yourself that the God who made all of that is the same God who knows you. He knows you. That's why he says, just, just look up, like I said to Abraham. Abraham, come here, come here. I told you you're going to have a child. I know it's hard to believe, but just come here. Step outside of your tent and look up. Abraham, if you can count the stars in the sky, you'll be able to count your descendants. He could not have imagined. And friends, I encourage us these next couple of weeks step outside of your tent. Step outside of that little four by eight cell of life that you've created. Step outside, look up to the stars, and realize that's my God, that's my Father. That's my Savior. If he can do all of that, he can take care of me. He he can write the story of my life. I can trust him. Lord, I, I want that. I don't want this. I want that. Lord, I pray this new year, help me to step out. Help me to step out and be just lost in awe again of who you are. And not only what you would do for me, but, oh, God, what you would do through me. The lives that you would touch through me. Lord, let that begin. Just foster that over this Christmas season. Would you bow your heart with me? We're going to close as the musicians play in just a moment. And I'm going to ask, in a moment as we stand, we're going to ask the ministry team to come. Some of our elders, I know we have a few people away this morning, so some of our board members, you can come as well. We're just going to stand along the front. And if you're here this morning, and you'd say, Pastor, I don't don't understand at all, but I do know this. I do know God is real. And I know that I want to know him. I want to experience all that you're talking about. I want to get out from the limitations of this small life that I've created and that I've written myself. But the story's not quite working out as I thought it should. I want to trust God this morning. I want to ask him to forgive me for going my own way and doing my own thing. I want to surrender my life to him. If that's your heart's desire this morning, I'm going to invite you in just a moment as we're standing and as we sing to come. And just find someone who's standing here at the altar and they would love to pray with you and just introduce you to Jesus. You may already know a lot about him. You just need to make that final step and just say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. I give you control. I want, Lord, to live your story that you have for me. And if that's your heart's desire, we're going to give you that opportunity. If you're here this morning again as a believer, maybe things still haven't registered these last couple of weeks, but you're starting to get it. This is the Advent season. This is the time that I stop and I say, oh God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore that sense of awe and wonder. Lord, I pray, help me to get my eyes off the surroundings. Help me to walk with my eyes fastened on you. Lord, I want a new dimension of experience in you and of trust in you and being used by you. If that's your heart's desire, I encourage you to open your heart as well as we close. Can we stand together? As we stand, I'm going to ask the elders, the ministry team, would you come and just stand around the front. We're going to dismiss you in just a moment. I'm going to ask Sammy, Johnny to lead us. And, and as they sing, don't hesitate. If you need to slip out, God bless you. You're, you're welcome to slip out at this time. Thank you for being with us. Lord willing, we'll see you next week and also Christmas Eve morning. Love to have you at the same time. But as people begin to move, if your heart's desire this morning is to surrender your life to Jesus, And to his great love for you, I want to invite you to come. Maybe a loved one will come with you if that's easier. But will you come, make that decision this morning, as we say on the road sign out there, start a brand new tradition this Christmas. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus, not religion, with Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word and your spirit will remain in our hearts today as we move through this day, continue to speak to us and draw us wherever we may be on our journey. Continue to draw us deeper in an appreciation of your love for us and who you are. And trust in you, O God, to truly surrender it all. And I pray for anyone here this morning who needs to make that commitment. In Jesus' name, I pray, just break the powers of darkness that would dissuade. And I just pray for faith and freedom to come, to come, Lord, and for life to be changed through a relationship with you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you this morning. Feel free to linger in worship. Feel free to slip out. But if you need Jesus this morning, I invite you to come. Don't put it off. Come. We'd love to pray with you this morning. God bless you.